Hello, everyone, and welcome to Human-Centered Security. This week, I have with me Ira Winkler. Thank you, Ira, for being on the show. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, you know, we delayed talking because I was so excited to read your book, and I wanted to do that first. Um, you can stop stupid. But I'll take a few minutes at the beginning here and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Oh, so first off, thanks for having me. It's my honor because there are so few people because, I mean, I, I mentioned this in my book, but there are so few people who are actually addressing you user experience, <clears throat> excuse me, user experience in cybersecurity. They think you just make everybody aware and there'll be rainbows and unicorns from that. They don't realize the importance of building things into a system. So having your podcast is really awesome. But anyway, sorry, that aside, um, introducing me, I've kind of been around cybersecurity for a while. I started at NSA. Ironically, before there was a field of cybersecurity, and I was always involved in the human aspects of information. I was designing um, interfaces and things like that on computer systems. And then what happened was when I started in the security world, I started doing as a fluke. I just started on the human aspects of cybersecurity, focusing on doing, I guess, what people now call social engineering exercises. I just basically went over and people asked me to take over a bank and I did it just calling people up. And then I wrote a paper about it because my company had a policy. If you ever get a paper accepted at a professional conference, they have to send you. So I would write papers to places like Banff, Canada, Sydney, Australia, and the like. And one time there was a conference in Salt Lake City, kind of, and I've never been there. So I thought, why not? And it turned out to be the top security conference in the world at the time. And then I, my paper was called The Seminal Work in Social Engineering. And I had to look up what seminal meant and what social engineering meant. I mean, I'm making that up to a certain extent, but it was kind of true. And then through that, people started coming to me to do more and more penetration tests. I called them espionage simulations, and I got a reputation for that. I ended up starting a consulting company, and after I sold that to HP, I was chief security strategist for HP for a while and did a whole bunch of stuff, wrote a few books along the way. In 2012, I started a company, Securementum, that focused on the human aspects of cybersecurity and where we primarily created awareness programs and, you know, handled, I guess, well, most people wanted us for the creating awareness programs, but there were also other aspects of gamification, helping implement different aspects of security programs, focused also on intrusion detection, or sorry, incident responses that involve the human aspects. Because these days, most incident responses involve some form of ransomware, malware, or some user, I don't want to call it a user failing, but some user issue. And we focused on that because most technical companies go in and they clean things up. And then the bad guys are back in the next week because they never figured out or cared why they got in in the first place and the bad guys just get back in again. So we focused on figuring out how they got in and putting an awareness program in place that's tailored to that, as well as implementing technical controls, which unfortunately includes something basic like multi-factor authentication. Um, 
you know, and anyway, I have seven books. The more most recent book that's currently out is You Can Stop Stupid, which is awesome. And then Security Awareness for Dummies is coming out in 2022. And I will shut up so there's actually time for something besides me in this podcast. Well, thank you for sharing that. I was very excited and you can stop stupid to see that there was at least a, a small, a small section, <laughs> but there was a section on UX. And I can't tell you how thrilled I was to see that because that means something, someone besides me was actually thinking that this is important. Um, why is UX important when it comes to security? So the way I look at it, and this is in the book, I use the concept of user initiated loss. You know, because everybody thinks, oh, well, the user clicked on ransomware, so they're responsible. It's like, no. You know, it's like, first off, let's stop and think about this. How does, in cybersecurity, how does an attack get to the user in the first place? A user doesn't just magically invent this concept of ransomware out of the ether and have it on their system. And I'm just using ransomware as one specific example. What happens is the system has to provide this ransomware into the person. And, you know, I talk about the concept of human security engineering and actually let me let me introduce that and take a step back. Human security engineering accepts the fact that there's this concept of user initiated loss, that users don't cause loss. They just initiate a sequence of events that can result in loss if you don't proactively put protections in place and mitigate that. And part of this also includes the fact that you have to provide the user with the opportunity to initiate the loss in the first place. And then once they're initiating the loss, you have to facilitate the loss to propagate. So for example, you know, that includes how does like your email filters, how does the e how does your email allow the message to be provided to the user once it's provided to the user. And this is where user experience starts coming up. How are you warning people about this? There's the concept in um, behavioral science of nudges. User experience essentially creates nudges, but it also creates a series of like an operating environment around the user. And this operating environment around the user, which is part of the overall user experience, can say, well, gee, if a user wants to click on something, he can click on it, but it doesn't mean I have to allow it. It also means, for example, that a user doesn't have permission to download and install software, which in most cases, not giving the user the experience that allows them to download software and execute it means they can't execute ransomware. This is 100% driven by the user experience. And, you know, yes, there's part of, you know, usually a UX is designing, you know, the aspects of how things look. It's designing the aspects of the interaction, but built into those interactions can be the nudges of how to do things securely. It can be warnings and saying, hey, wait a second, here's this, you know, and, and there used to be more of this, but for example, on on browsers, there used to be McAfee Site Advisor and other types of protections that warn that this link doesn't go to where you say the link is and it blocks it unless you otherwise enable it. And all of these things 
can stop users from initiating loss. You can also trigger and say, hey, by the way, this isn't the brightest idea. Do you want to do this? You know, and that can all get built in. And when you look at that, and the thing is, you know, the whole concept of human security engineering is not that users are the weakest link. It doesn't matter where the weak, where the weakest link is. There are weak links all throughout. I argue the weak link are the people, the weakest link are the people designing the systems that can allow a random user inside a large organization to ruin the entire organization. Well, and that's so, what I appreciate. Oh, sorry, about... I should go. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I just want to say that's what I appreciated about the book was the the concept of user initiated loss. You know, it takes it takes the blame off of the use the human the user who, by the way, could be technical or non technical. You know, it, it it could be anybody you know mm -hmm. who initiates this loss. But the idea that it had to. It's not like you said, it's not like the, the user just like came up with the malware, like the, somehow this this threat got to the user. And yeah, the user had to interact in some way, had to do something in order for the loss to be initiated. But as you said, the, then there have to be controls after that, after the fact that mitigate, you know, whatever it is that the human did. Uh, that the user did. So I really, I really appreciated that framing of it. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And it goes back to what, what you just said. It, it's not shame on the user. It's shame on the people building the systems and not kind of thinking through, um, you know, how <laughs> just <laughs> the different layers, right? And here's a concept from safety science. And here's where the problem occurs on why cybersecurity professionals, they claim the user is the paragon, but they inevitably blame the user because when a user is the, you know, your cure for the problem, you're also implying the user is the failure of the problem. And the reality is, is when you look at and adopt principles of safety science and accounting, especially safety science, safety science used to say when a user or a person injured themselves, why was the person stupid enough to injure themselves? Then they started what I guess is referred to as the new school of safety science. If you look at Sidney Decker's work and it wasn't. And the, then it became how did the system fail that allowed the user to hurt themselves? And the concept is, is that a failing by the user is a failing of the entire system. And in order to solve safety, they looked at the all aspects of safety and tried to figure out what is the process and how can we along the way make the process safer? Why is the person in the position where they can injure themselves and so on? And likewise, at the point of potential injury, what can you do? You look, for example, at leaving the restroom in restaurants, and there's an sign that says employees must wash hands before leaving. It sounds really basic, and you know, in some ways you cringe when you see employees have to be reminded. But that is at the point where something can be done to prevent it, you are creating the user experience to remind the user to do the right thing. And so what I'm actually advocating, and you can't stop stupid and everything else I've been doing is not look at this users in cybersecurity as this paragon of the solution, 
I'm just adopting principles from safety science, accounting, counterterrorism, and other places to just say, here's how we should be looking at it. And no, the user isn't perfect. No, the user is not better. No, the user isn't my solution. The user is a piece of the solution, but it's it's just at the end of the day, the proximity of where the error is initiated and not the realization of the loss of the error. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I'm on my soapbox. You can no, stop me and interrupt all, me at any time. <laughs> this all is extremely interesting and you know really pertinent for UX designers in thinking about you know kind of everything is a system everything and especially in security like everything is connected and, and understanding that things are interrelated i think is just a really important thing to understand when it comes to security um it, and another thing that you talked about in the book is like the idea that ux builds in both prevention and detection and i want to start off by talking about like what what is prevention and detection, what are those terms mean to you? Okay, so in prevent, what prevention means is, uh, and, and remember, this is with regard to the user, there is the initiation of loss. Mm -hmm. And when you have the user and prevention and detection, and then there's also um, potentially reaction as well built into there. But so prevention means the user experience can stop the user from having access, from stopping the user from initiating a loss. And there's a variety of ways to do that. Number one is, for example, not to give the user access to data they don't need. So for example, in call centers and any type of interaction with a customer, what can happen is you just give the individual user, your employee, access a view into the database of only the information they specifically need. So for example, if somebody calls up for technical help, you don't need to give them access to credit card data, as an example. And so by designing an experience, you can go ahead, limit the data, because everybody says, oh, we want to enable the user. No, you don't. You want to give the user what they need to sufficiently do their job. And frankly, from a cybersecurity perspective, not much else. Because the more you give them, the more likelihood there is for loss. Frankly, even from a compliance perspective with all the privacy regulations, you really want to limit this as well. So that's number one. So you can start looking at what data access do you give people through the UX. Then you also look at what permissions do you give people? What, what can they do? You don't need, for example, technical support to rewrite a database of user, well, maybe there are some cases, but it should be highly limited. You don't give the, you know, the people the access to do that. In Twitter, for example, I, one of the problems is we really forget very quickly major incidents in cybersecurity, but about a year ago, um, remember when some quote unquote criminal mastermind who turned out to be a 17 year old in their basement was able to change passwords on accounts with tens of millions of followers. It turns out that what happened was they gave access to the admin console to about 20% of the entire Twitter technical team. 
That's a thousand people. And all you had to do was social engineer one of a thousand people successfully, and you got access to that. Likewise, the lack of multi-factor authentication builds in protect or sorry, enable that. So multi-factor authentication is a part of the user experience as well, albeit it sounds like a cybersecurity control, but that's the authentication process, which is again, the user experience. And then simultaneously in detection, you can build in warnings when things look like, well, are you really trying to reset this person's password as an example? Is that really okay? And potentially also build in a second factor. So for example, let's say an account of more than, I'm just making this number up, a thousand people. If a, an admin is gonna change it, it at least requires two layers of verification to do something like that. Let alone millions probably should have at least three people, including an executive enable a password change. So that's another part of the user experience in detection where another person can verify whether or not it's done. But even if you're doing this in real time, you can see whether or not actions really are credible in how they're being taken as an example. You can have the user and prompt the user, hey, this seems out of the ordinary. Please look at this email address. The sending email address is not what it says it is and so on. And that's part of detection. And then likewise in reaction, you can go ahead and trigger warnings. You can trigger responses. You can say, hey, we don't have the ability. You don't have the ability to do this and so on. And if this is gonna happen, it's gonna be audited and verified by someone else. So anyway, these are all different types of things along the way you can do. And I can give, you know, if I was in a given environment, I'd give more specifics, but at a high level, that's what kind of how it should behave. Yeah, this is all really, really interesting. And it makes me think about something that I've kind of been internalizing is that I think UX designers think about all the ways that we can make it easier for people, right? Like make it easy, make it simple. Um, but security means, yes, yes, there are things that we want to enable the user to do. Yes, there are things that should be much, much simpler when it comes to security. However, we also want to be putting roadblocks in place where it makes sense. And I think that's something that that you you and I have talked about um, and, and that you just mentioned. It's like they don't necessarily need access to everything, for example, and we should put the appropriate roadblocks in place to prevent them from getting access to everything. Like those things need to be thought out. So it's not just about, you know, enabling the user and always giving the user, you know, access to everything and, and the ability to do everything. But sometimes we need to introduce those points of friction. As you mentioned, like, do you really want to do this? Like, do you, you sure you want to click on that? <laughs> you know, and just, you know, pausing the user at that, that really um, important moment in time, that important place, like in terms of context. Yeah, I mean, that's really what's critical at the end of the day. Too many people are just there. You know, there's this whole concept of empowering the user. And it's it's like, no, we have too many concerns out there to do things. And And frankly, this isn't to harm the user in any way. It's to help them. I mean, we have problems. And one part of UX, again, back from 
I, the days when I was designing interfaces and I would design interfaces to try to, you know, in the intelligence world, take out complexity and things like this. The more capability you're trying to shove in there, the more complex, the harder it becomes, you know, by it, because I always say good, you know, originally I said good security is good systems administration. But at the end of the day, good security can also be good user experience as well. By taking away the complexity, taking away the amount of harm and decision-making a person has to do, you can make their job simpler and much more efficient. Because the goal, I mean, there's this Pollyanna view of things where we wanna make, again, our users are the perfect beings and these perfect beings should have the ability to change the world. And I'm not saying that doesn't sound good. It's just not realistic from most experiences that are out there. A person uses their computer to do what they want it to do. It shouldn't need to do more, nor frankly, to cause harm to them. Let me go back to something that you said before about the people building the systems, thinking that people are, are perfect, that humans are perfect and that they're not, they're so perfect, they're not gonna make mistakes. I don't know if it's so much of that. I almost feel like it's because it's one, it's laziness on the, on the myself included, right? I, I, follow, I design systems as well. It's laziness in the sense that it's easier to just design the default so like everyone gets everything, right? It's a lot harder to think through when does this make sense and when doesn't it and, and who gets access to it and who doesn't and how do we communicate that? Um, what happens when like admin rights need to be granted, you know, and all these like, like, it's really hard to think through all that stuff. And the other thing I think it is, is that companies and the people working in there, again, myself included, I'm not saying that I don't do this as well. We put an unrealistic security burden on the end user. And it's almost like, this is your problem, especially with consumer stuff. I'm not so much talking about, um, Although I, I suppose it happens internally at organizations as well. But I was thinking like with like routers or, you know, when you're setting up your TV, you know, you're you're telling the user like, look, you took this home, you figure it out. I'm sorry if it gets hacked. Actually, I'm not sorry. <laughs> like, that's your problem. You know what I mean? So I, I feel yeah. like those two factors contribute a lot as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it is it it is hard to do, you know, to implement user experience across a variety of users and you know same thing with security controls i once um you know i once asked a friend who worked at i don't know how many people remember sun microsystems but i asked a friend who worked at sun a way way back long time ago and he, i'm like how come your systems are set up by default insecure he's like we used to have them set up securely by default and then what happened was 90% of calls to the help desk were how do we turn off security features? So we just ship them insecure by default. Oh my gosh. And that was how it happened. You know, it was just like a, an issue. Likewise, if you just want to design a car that lets a user go someplace, it's a lot easier, a lot less expensive to give them that compared to putting in all the sensors. I mean, there's like probably dozens, if not hundreds of computers inside a car these days, figuring out exactly, 
you know, what's around you, how to drive safely, keeping in the lanes, monitoring everything. That all adds to safety. The complexity behind the scenes is immense, you know, more immense than just to give people the basic capability. But, you know, again, in these, you know, in this day and age, I think we've lost the luxury or let me phrase it this way. I think we should have lost the luxury of just designing a general interface for everyone without cybersecurity concerns. I mean, these days, you know, we're talking about ransomware crippling an organization, which kind of crippled the entire, you know, U.S. Northeast when you had the pipeline go down, the colonial pipeline incident a few months ago. You know, you're st you have to stand back and start to look at things and say, okay, this is important. My job is not just to make sure people can interact with the system. My job is now to make sure people can interact with the system in a way that's going to mitigate their ability to initiate a loss. And it's a little bit more complex to that, but, you know, it's it's it should be driving the UX people to be even that much more valuable. Because again, so. this is an opportunity. <laughs> this, I mean, this is as much of an opportunity as it is a frustration. Yes, I I a hundred percent agree with that. That and I just I guess I don't know enough around this. I just don't have any. I don't have enough use cases to make to form an opinion or an insight around this. But why aren't UX people or people in human factors, for example, more involved in security? cybersecurity and in some of the decisions that get made around that. So my opinion is, is because they don't do what I advocate, which is human security engineering. When you hear the problem, again, there's too much of this human firewall crap out there. There's too much of your humans being your last line of defense crap out there. Because at the end of the day, people aren't, people are too focused as the user as the entire decision maker. You know, they're not looking at it as a holistic process. They look a user clicked on the wrong file, stupid user, bad user, whatever. The solution is just make the user smarter, which doesn't account for malice. A user, a good UX would account to limit a malicious user's ability to cause harm, as an example. But, you know, it's just, it's a failing of looking at the problem from a holistic way. You know, for example, I go back to safety science, you know, and all these other related disciplines. In safety science, they put warnings, for example, when a user is operating a piece of equipment that can potentially cause damage to the extent reasonable, they say, hey, do not touch this. They put little signs up with a big electric bolt that says, open this. That's a part of a user experience all being non-computer based user experience in cybersecurity, there's just not there's too much of this human firewall hype without a lot of vision applied which i'm trying to combat to the large extent and talking to wonderful people like you which by the way you are a really good host and i'm not sucking up because i'm already on this show <laughs> so um well okay so to uh, but, I'm probably yeah, going to forget the second thing I'm, that I'm going to say, but the safety science thing, um, that was in your book. Um, and that I found that very fascinating and interesting to read about. Um, 
because that it sort of reminds me of human factors, which I'm slightly more familiar with. But the idea I think that you were saying in in the book was that with safety science, it just kind of assumes it assumes that something's going to go wrong. Like given enough time, like something bad is going to happen. So as you said, there's the awareness piece, like don't mix these chemicals together because that would be bad, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like don't do that. But you're also saying like, eh, you're still probably going to make a mistake sometimes. Uh, wear safety glasses. Uh, there's the eye washing station, you know, next to where all these chemicals are. Like I'm, this, this is my like third grade science education mm -hmm. coming out. Right? <laughs> like, but there, you know, there are, are all these different things that they're doing because they just assume that something bad is going to happen. And they're not just leaving it up to the poor human, you know, <laughs> to just, you know, have this accident and not be able to, for example, wash their eyes <laughs> of the chemicals, you know, so I think I, I think you're right. Like there's so much we can learn from these other industries. Well, I think you just touched on the point and I hate it's a cliche, but it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when and users will statistically fail nine. Well, four percent of the time, no matter what. That's just, a, you know, it's just a flat out statistic from the Verizon data breach report, which is pretty much saying if you send a phishing message, four out of 100 people will click on that message. And good or bad, it's just a fact. And the problem is, you know, with the whole with cybersecurity in general, people have started to look at we're going to base our programs on the fact things will inevitably happen and plan for the initiation of loss. Unfortunately, for some reason, there is just this cycle, and I more consider it a psychological block than anything else. There's generally this psychological block in people that users will fail. And you have to plan for the failing as much as you plan for the proactive security. And yes, I'm not saying, and look, I do, People get the impression I don't like awareness. No, I think awareness is critical. Awareness is a valuable risk mitigation tool, but it's just not the perfect tool people try to paint it as. You know, for example, let's say you do phishing education and people will click on a phishing message inevitably. That's a given. But let's say you take a click right down from 4% down to 3%. You know, you're like, big deal. It's like, no, you've taken the risk at that one point in time. You've decreased that risk by 25%. That's pretty good to do a risk reduction of 25%. But again, it's a, it's a, a, it's a long, a whole chain of events. Now, this is an old concept, but there's this concept of total quality management, which dates back to 1980s or so, or even before, where what you do is you look at every process in it, it's for manufacturing mostly, but you look at every process in manufacturing, and let's say the, the default or the um, fa failure rate is, is 1%. If you have 10 steps along the line, that 1% becomes a 10% failure rate. So if you're manufacturing a product, 10% 10, uh, 10 of your products are gonna be defective in, in that case of just a simple 1% failure. So you're trying to get the, you know, the loss decreased as small as possible and not say, well, there's this small percentage we'll just accept. 
In cybersecurity, it has to be looked at as the continual stream of every step along the way where a user is put in a decision-making capability where they can initiate a loss. How do we look at if that whole system from start to finish so that, yes, the user should make the loss on a lower frequency, but how do we not provide the user with that opportunity at a lower frequency, which includes significantly the user experience. And likewise, we're going to assume the user will inevitably make that error or initiate a loss. How do we expect that and mitigate that in, in process? Yeah, absolutely. And I know that there are UX people listening who are, are thinking like, you know, how can I do more of this and, and how can I be part of these conversations? I, I, I think sometimes UX people, I, in any product and in, in any system that people are building, I, I know because this happens to me all the time, um, UX folks aren't invited early enough in the conversations, right? So where we may have made a really big difference, um, you know, we're kind of coming in after the fact to pick up the pieces. Um, so I agree with you. I think I think UX really needs to be brought in much earlier in the process so that we can actually design security and it's not something that's after the fact. Um, I completely agree. I mean, frankly, when you start looking at any system and you're looking there and it's like, you know, it, it's, it's like, and it's a failure, like, cause, and no offense to the people in UX, but I hear this a lot from people who are in software engineering. I hear from people, you know, in cybersecurity a lot as well. You know, there was this old, um, you know, there was this old conversation, you know, when I was a systems analyst, as an example, if that term ever still exists, you know, there was a cartoon that went around. I think it might have even been Dilbert cartoon where it's like, well, you guys start writing the code. I'll find out what the users want, you know, and, yeah, it's exactly. like, <laughs> and in many ways, you know, that's what what's going on. It's like you're either writing in a vacuum or you're not getting the requirements as soon as possible or verify. I mean, and this is the cartoon that you explained, like is every user experience person's like worst nightmare, and, but also their reality as well. Like it's both a nightmare and like a true, like this happens all the time. And, and the issue that often ends up happening is, you know, we're doing the research, you know, as the code is being written. And then we're like, well, like, whoa, like, hold on a second. Like something like this, this finding is is so critical to how we build the system, but then there's been so much invested in building it anyway. They're like, oh, you know, we'll fix it later. Like, you know, this will be in version 1.2 or whatever. And you, but then it never happens because that's just how humans operate, right? We're like, well, we'll do it later, but then it never gets done. And I feel like that has been, it has got to be an issue in security because I know in every other aspect of software development, it's an issue as well. Well, let me, um, so I, I talk about this one concept. I, you know, I, I usually use this for CISOs, chief information security officers who, you know, cause every so often they go, they're like, yeah, I can never get the budget I really need. I go, here's the problem with CISOs as a whole. And frankly, with UX designers and the UX field to a certain extent too. I go, here's the problem. You're getting the budget you deserve, not the budgets that you need. And you need to learn to deserve more. 
And what I mean by that is, and frankly, you know, this isn't something I'm, you know, when I was doing interface design and every and other aspects of human factors, this isn't something they teach you. And the thing is, you need to show you deserve more. You need to take a step back and frankly, be able to make the business case of what's going on and how you provide tangible return on investment. So for example, and I'll use safety science again as an, as an example. In safety science, the reason safety science is such a big discipline is because if there is an injury in like an environment and the environment gets shut down, like let's say a factory is down because some worker was injured or potentially died in, a, in an environment, that has hard tangible costs. And the number of incidents that you decrease decreases the potential loss, it decreases the outages, it decreases insurance costs. There are hard and fast costs to an injury. And safety science can look at this and say, okay, we have decreased injuries from, you know, what is like a good example in one case where I'm, it's bizarre, but drawing, and I think I talk about it in my book, where some, they drew a line down the factory floor and say forklifts stay to one side, people stay to the other. And they pretty much got rid of 90% of accidents where people were being injured by forklifts going up and down the warehouse floor, which unfortunately was way too much. Now, by saying they cut down 90% of all these injuries, which cost them millions of dollars a year, they proved their worth by drawing a, a line of a line down the floor. Now, UX designers, likewise, should be able to sit there. I'm not saying it's easy, but you should sit there and say, okay, how have I provided value? How has my UX experience been able to tailor and increase operating efficiency? Because I know in the field of human factors and many UX people come out of that, You've got to look at this and say, how much more efficient have we made our users and apply these psychological studies? What is the efficiency? What is the decrease in decision making time? How much better are they able to do their job? How much more job can they do? Because the interfaces are designed so well, their experience is so well and so on. And if you can justify your existence, not just in being, you won't even be, you'll not only be brought into the conversations sooner, you'll be able to lead the conversations if you can provide the data to show how much value you provide back to the users. So hopefully I got that all out. I was. Yeah, but, no, that I like, I'm jumping for joy right now that you, you just said that because I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head. UX designers have to first understand the business and what the business values and be able to speak that language. And then you need to somehow, and like you said, it's not easy to demonstrate the return on investment and demonstrate the value that you're bringing by making these changes, by building you know, UX into security. And one of the things I, I do know just from being in the UX industry that long is that that is relatively new to UX people, period, like measuring, you know, establishing a baseline and then see, showing, demonstrating that you've, you've moved the needle in the right direction. So I think it's something that 
UX people are still kind of grappling, like, how do I measure that? Like, how do, like, what is the value that I'm bringing? Like, they know that the work is valuable, but it's difficult sometimes to demonstrate it to the broader business audience, to, you know, to the stakeholders involved. But there is a way to do it. And you just have to be so establishing a baseline. I would say just, you know, we're getting at the end of our time here and we can measuring the value of UX could be a whole different conversation. But I think establishing a baseline UX folks who are listening is you will be so happy that you did that because then you can start to show results um, in, in contrast to that baseline. But yeah, Ira, I think... I think you, you know, you've, you've kind of pulled us full circle and like this, this point I think is, is probably the most important one that we've made, but um, I think we got to close the conversation <laughs> with this. Yeah, I will say when I do awareness programs, I always make it a point to take day zero measures. In other words, let's collect metrics. And frankly, there are metrics to be built in all around you that you don't think of, like the number of malware incidents. It's not just measuring how many click on a, how many people click on a phishing simulation, but you have to take day zero measurements and then implement your program and show the value. Because frankly, you know, I, I know you're you're at your end, but really, at the end of the day, if you work on an, an user experience you should take before you start working on it and after. And if you haven't made measurable improvements, you really got to stop and think, what did I do wrong? But day zero, take it and then retest after you're done and try to keep improving. And now I'll let you finish, sorry. <laughs> well, thank you. This has been so interesting. Um, I, I'm, I hope as many UX people as possible can listen to this and learn from you. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast, and I hope that we can do this again sometime soon. UX folks, if you are interested in security, Ira's book, the one that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, You Can Stop Stupid, I found that to be incredibly helpful in terms of me understanding cybersecurity, and I would highly recommend it to any UX folks who are interested in the field.